From the crossroads of America in the Hoosier state of Indiana, this is Get In, the podcast focused on the unfolding stories and extraordinary innovations happening right now in the heartland. I'm Matt Hunkler, CEO at Powder Keg, and I will be one of your hosts for today's conversation. I'm joined in studio by co-host Christopher Toaf Day, CEO at Elevate Ventures, and Nate Spangle, who is the head of community at Powder Keg. Today's guest is Dr. Alicia McCoy, founder and CEO of Peak Mind. Most of our brains are meant to mind wonder, is to think of all the things that could happen. A focused brain gets things done, right? That's a mind wandering brain, a stress brain, a focused brain is a productive brain. Dr. Alicia McCoy is the founder and CEO of Peak Mind. Alicia is an author, speaker, and serial entrepreneur dedicated to making the work environment better for everyone. For the past nine years, Alicia has studied neuropsychology and interviewed numerous scientists, therapists, and corporate coaches to find the best ways to transform our workplaces for the better. In today's episode, we talk all about it and cover topics like daily habits to help improve your mental health, actionable tactics to help make your workplace and workspace healthier, and how to identify gaps in your company culture, and even how to fill those gaps. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Here's Dr. Alicia McCoy. Alicia, thanks so much for being here. We're so excited to have you. Happy to be here. I'm really excited to talk about Peak Mind and what you're building there, but wanted to start by taking it back a little bit about where you grew up, which was San Texas, right? It was. So if we want to say where I was conceived, it was actually in Japan, Okinawa, Japan. My mother and father were both in the Army, and they decided they didn't want to have two babies. My sister's 18 months older than me, so that once they realized they were having a second child, they both decided that their terms were, they weren't going to renew. And so they both exited out of Japan into San Antonio. That's where you, they officially, I don't know, whatever the off-boarding process for the Army is. And we stayed there for 15 years before coming to Indiana. What was that like? It was awesome growing up in the melting pot of America. Tell me about it. I've only been through San Antonio, so I don't actually know what it's like. Because San Antonio has so many army bases, they have, I believe, five if they're still all open. That brings a lot of international traffic through San Antonio. Did you uh, say a Billy five? No, they have five different army bases. Got and so mm. most people have to either go through basic training in San Antonio or they exit out um, or it's a transfer station for a lot of people. And so that brings the melting pot together. And the Riverwalk is pretty cool, too. And being close to Mexico, it brings immigration traffic through throughout the Midwest. What do you think all that kind of immigration and melting pot-ness of San Antonio did for you when you think about your career today and all that exposure that you had? Are there some things that you learned in those first 15 years of your life that you still carry with you today? For sure. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Growing up in a melting pot, diversity is just something you're, you don't think anything of. And so coming to Indiana, it was not the most diverse city, state. Talk about San Antonio. What were some of the things that you learned in those first 15 years growing up there? Yeah, having access to just so many diverse people and types of ethnicities and languages. I spoke Spanish when I was a kid. I called the babysitter Abuelita, which is little grandma, and grew up eating amazing foods. So I remember eating Indian as a kid. I may not have loved My mother and sister can tell you that, but I was exposed. And I'd be hard-pressed to say when Indiana got the first Indian restaurant. I don't know, maybe any of you guys know, but I don't. It's too funny. 
before I was born, definitely before I was born, I, I loved Comic Kazana Girl. I grew up in West Lafayette where Purdue is. And there's, I don't know if you remember that place too, because oh, yeah. you went to Purdue. Yep. Kazana Girl was just fire. So good. That's my favorite Indian restaurant in Indiana. Nice. What did you dream about when you grew up, when you were a kid? That's a good question that I don't know if I remember. Tell me an actual dream dream. What do you want to do? In the I want to do this someday. Yeah, I would think if I had anything that I really thought of was a doctor or veterinarian. I've always been a caregiver. And so taking care of people, that probably would have been the path that you're taught in school, right? What do you want to be? A doctor, a, a nurse, a veterinarian? One of those standard. <laughs> Love that. So then what ended up bringing you and your family to Indiana? My mother's family was here. And so when she got out of the army, it was military bases and friends, not family. And so just she had a point where she wanted to be closer to relatives. And, and so we came up and we visited one summer and she realized how nice it was to be around family and decided that she wanted it to be an everyday thing. Were you still in high school? I was. I was I just finished my ninth grade year. Got it. So well, you still had several years left. Three years of high school here. And then I, when I got to the college portion, I had to decide, okay, do I go back to San Antonio? because I'd only known Indiana for three years. And I went and toured University of Texas, San Antonio. And it was a hot, muggy, like, day. And it was just, like, so desolate and bare and no grass. And I was used to grass from Indiana for three years. And so I was like, can I do this? Sure. <laughs> yeah. And maybe jumping a few steps here, but I think you ended up at Ball State and not San Antonio, yes. correct? I actually had my University of San Antonio ID. Wow. They had mailed You're it to close. me. I was supposed to be down there in two weeks. Oh, wow. And I just said, I can't do this. You're, you're going to be a roadrunner. I Instead, was. chirp, chirp with the Cardinals. I did. So I, I said, okay, who can I get into here locally? And, and it, another funny story is that I also chose my college because I was so burnt out of being a three-sport athlete and an academic athlete that I honestly might have said, what school can I go to that nobody's even paying attention to grades? <laughs> we need to check that out. You were a three-sport athlete. Wow. So what were those three sports? Basketball, volleyball, and track. Wow. Yes. What were some of the mental performance to tricks and hacks that you kind of learned in sports? Before you were deep in the mental wellness space, I'm sure you learned some things. Yes, I'm sure I did somewhere, but I've always naturally been a leader. That is one thing that I look back that I didn't realize then, but I was almost always a captain, right? And so looking back now that I'm helping coach my niece in basketball, I see the traits that she has because she is the one that says, hey guys, let's, you know, come on, get together, start shooting the ball. She's naturally taking the lead. And I always had those traits. Where I learned it, I'm not sure. I'm sure having two army parents who are strong, sophisticated, intelligent people helped, right? Yeah. I had some good DNA. Yeah. So having army parents as a background, was entrepreneurship a part of your home life growing up? My father did, but I don't know. I'm Subconsciously, I would imagine that I recognized it, right? At one point, I do remember seeing a bunch of jewelry on a table. It was like this African wood jewelry, right? And so I remember seeing like, why do we have this? And he was selling it. I don't know what, if it was a chain at the time or mm. what it was, but maybe those small, subtle things were creeping in without me knowing. Do you think the military background played a part in your elite performance, both in academics and in sports? Not directly, but I think just genetically, because they both were out. So I never got to experience being a military brat, as people say, right? Yeah. They were out before um, I could realize. Sure. I, but I would imagine though that both your parents are maybe a little bit more regimented than your average adult. Yes. 
<laughs> Did you have to make your bed every day? No, thank goodness. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> wow, nice. Wow. What was your first kind of memory of that desire to be an entrepreneur? It would be, I would say, when I moved to Los Angeles. So I graduated from Ball State in 2003. I worked here for about a year and a half. I was already working while I was in college. I was blessed enough to go through two fantastic internships. My high school guidance counselor, who was a friend's mom of mine, she basically handed me an application when I, my senior year of high school and said, fill this out, you're doing it. Wow. It wasn't an ask, it was, it was a time, <laughs> which I'm thankful for because what it was is at the time, Indianapolis had what was called the Inroads Program. And it was a group of companies like Lilly and Kroger and other corporations that volunteered and or pledged what we're doing now with Indie, what is it, Employability, right? Where companies say, I will, uh, and right, TechPoint is doing something like that, where I will spend $5,000 on an intern and for the summer, they'll come and they'll get to experience our corporate cult culture and learn something. And so I did Kroger for two years. So my first year, summer of college, I was working at Kroger in what was now, or at the time, it was a top 10 management training program in the country. So I was interning alongside 55-year-old people who were learning to be general managers. And so I was, every two weeks, I would rotate through the meat department. I'd rotate through produce. I'd go then through the corporate office. I'd sit in HR. I had to order. It was really stressful. One week, I had to order all the food for a store. Oh. Can you imagine? So you don't want to mess that up. No. I'm to take the calls when I didn't order enough cheese, cheese puffs or something. Yeah, <laughs> Hoosiers do enjoy their cheese puffs. Yeah. yeah. Was that in Indianapolis or was that in Cincinnati? No, Indianapolis. Indianapolis. And I did Kroger for two summers. And then I said, okay, the third summer, I was like, okay, guys, the meat department is getting a little <laughs> What else can we do the next up two? Up a little bit. Well, yeah, let's change it a little bit. And so since I was studying interior design and marketing, they said, we have nothing in interior design, but the closest would be construction. And so Duke Construction was one of the corporate pa oh, partners. Yeah. And Duke took me in. And so I worked the junior to senior summer. And then basically my senior year of college, I was driving down to Indianapolis and I was working as a, an employee for Duke. And I just continued that for a year and a half after graduation. And then I said, okay, I'm tired managing middle-aged people and telling the painter to keep the paint off the carpet. Unfortunately, that's your job when you're a project manager in a construction company. So. That's fair. Yeah. Did you have a mentor early on there? Rich Prestholt was over the pre-construction or we were the interior construction division. And so he was our manager and he was great for the first six months. And that first internship, the first summer, I went on all his calls with him. And then at about six months, he said, you know what, Alicia, you've got this. You don't need me. Here's your set of projects. And they handed me my, you know, small jobs, right? Take a room this size and change the paint out, change the carpet and keep it in budget. You, yeah. you start little and you continue to progress it from there. That's awesome. That's near and dear to my heart because that's how my career started. Nice. As well, was commercial construction, real estate development. That's awesome. Mine was at the count tiling floors. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Tell me about the kind of spark for your first entrepreneurial endeavor. How did that come about? Yeah, I left do construction because I didn't want to strangle any middle-aged men. Uh, <laughs> and I love it when they say, I've been doing this for 30 years, right? Oh, yeah. And you're probably like, okay, so you've got the 30 and I've done it for two. So that's 32 years. We can figure this out. Yes. Thanks. Hey, every day, all day. And so I moved to Los Angeles because I'm young and in my early 20s. And I said, okay, what should I do next? And I took whatever savings I had and I just, I packed up a little U-Haul and I moved across country and knew maybe two people in LA. And I took a couple months, three months, and I just traveled the city. I learned. And then I said, okay, I need to get a job. And so I went to Craigslist and got a corporate interior design job. 
the weekend. The Craigslist was the thing back then. It was actually legit and not creepy. <laughs> <laughs> and you're living to tell the tale. Yes, it worked out. That's amazing. Yeah. What did you learn in those first couple of weeks in LA, landing in a new big city like that? Yeah, luckily. I have friends that we travel internationally. So when I wasn't working the last two years of college, I was traveling to cities and, and different countries. So I, I probably traveled 30 different places in junior and senior year of college. And so I, in addition to San Antonio, I was already pretty well traveled. So LA to me, I'd been there before, but I just, I didn't know people. But what I did get to know was the lay of the land. Where are things at? What do I like to do here? Because it's, it was a bigger city like Indiana, where you had access to so many different foods. So many, and now I was a grown-up versus San Antonio or as a kid. So I got to actually enjoy and have fun and get to party a little bit yeah. and let my hair down. That's <laughs> great. What brought you back? Family. Yeah. What brought my mother here to Indiana in the first place here? We were in LA, we were seeing a recession. The writers were on strike. And so that was before the, what was it, OE recession. Yeah. And so in late 2006, 2007, the writers all went on strike. And that lasted for about a year. The city was just decimated, right? And so it just became hard to be an entrepreneur because... I started my first company in 2005. I was working for one of the corporate designers that I had gotten the jobs through Craigslist with and a phenomenal high-end high corporate designer. We were designing hotels and nightclubs and one of our residential properties was actually the largest residential property in all of Malibu. So oh, a wow. really rich gentleman who has a tower in London, a tower in downtown LA and owns, you know, the biggest residential property. And so the, those were the types of uh, customers that we were solving for. I think Michelle uh, Pfeiffer was one of our clients. She wasn't my yeah. but So getting that exposure was amazing. But what I realized is the leadership, when the leadership isn't good, it doesn't matter if you have access to the best things in the world and the best clientele. Yeah. It was so painful and stressful working there. The corporate culture was just broken and it was all because of the leader. And so a couple of us decided this is just, this isn't working. Why don't we're smart, intelligent women? Why don't let's try and do it on our own? Let's figure this out. And we did. We met in a Starbucks in LA or maybe a, the other coffee place on one of those two places. And we said, all right, he's going out of business. And one of the ones actually did. He shut down. Wow. Two weeks later, we never got our final paycheck. Wow. He was run out of town, um, oh which is really unfortunate because he was so prestigious. We were designing for the Shumamian Brothers, which the SLS hotels were some of the best in the world at the time. Yeah. And so to have that much creativity, and he had a $5 million contract on his desk that he wouldn't sign. The Shumamian Brothers wanted to lock him in. We would have been his, their only interior designer. Wow. $5 million guarantee wow. to just do wow. any of the nightclubs, any of the hotels, any of the restaurants, and he couldn't sign it. Mental well-being got into the way, and even the best, his consultants, one of the women that I started my company with, she was trying to be his business consultant and tell him, hey, look, we've got to get this together. But doing illegal drugs on top of having mental well-being issues just doesn't make for a good business. No. Yeah, no. What are some of those early signs, looking back, where you maybe started to see some cracks in the system? And for leaders who are listening and leaders around the table here, what are some of those kind of early signs where, hey, maybe you should reach out and start getting some help when things reach this particular point. For sure. When you start questioning, sitting in your car saying, do I want to drive to work today? That was the catalyst for peak mind for me. Yeah. I've been a business owner for 10 years. And one day I just was like, I don't even want to go into my own office. It's like, I own the place. They work for me. I'm not happy with that and don't want to see them today. I have the power. And that really started for me to say, okay, what is the steps to take? Yeah. Do I just let them go? Or do I train them? Do I, are they the type of people that we really want in the, cool, the company? And this was my corporate interior design business that I was started in 2005. And so 
really took a look at that and said, how do I change it for myself? How do I change it for them so that we never get to this point of burnout again? And then that realizing that it wasn't just me going through that. All of my CEO customers at the time were going through that. I was working in 26 different states. So I was traveling three days a week. I was in different states doing corporate $50 million buildings, $25 million buildings. And so all of my CEO customers were all feeling the same thing, right? We design a building and we do a post-evaluation and walk in a year later and say, how do you like the building? And then there'd be grumpy, unhappy employees that say, I don't like the break room. We built the break room the way that you wanted it. Why don't you like it? And seeing that time and time again, you start to realize that I don't think you even know what you want. I don't even think you understand what you're saying. You're just saying words to say words. This is such a critical subject because there's the old adage that CEO is the loneliest job in the world. For sure. And humans, and different, everybody's different. It's, I think it's probably hard for most humans to self-admit, right? And I'm struggling. I have an issue. I need to reach out. I need help. Whether it's tapping a friend and getting vulnerable or going to a professional, whatever right. it might be. So I, we're probably going to get into Canada, then you launching peak mind. But this is such a powerful subject and no doubt that people that are listening to this right now are thinking to themselves, I've been struggling and I don't want to admit it. I don't want my spouse to know my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whatever, whatever it is. Talk about that before we jump into the peak mind side. What would you say? What have you seen of how people can overcome that? white knuckle moment that I don't want to admit I need help because I'm a strong person, right? And I can brute force my way to success in this role. Yeah, I think it's going to come out one day, whether it comes out in a healthy way or I say, and my quote is, burnout leans to act out. How you act out, do you get too drunk? That turns into a DUI and now you're facing legal charges and now you're like, okay, I have to do something. Or do you black out? Or do you so many different things? Unfortunately, are the catalyst for change. And unfortunately, a lot of us have to feel that pain. I don't know why that's human nature. Okay, dang it. I like now I have to address it. Or you see it and witness it in somebody else, right? Which is my modeling and talking about how your success, how you overcome things is helpful for other people, because that is a motivator for others. And so the more we have that men share, the more that other people share their journey and their story and their struggle can help somebody else. And so there's so many different ways to move people forward nudging. We'll get into with peak mind, right? That's one of the sciences that we look at, but it, it can be done. And luckily the pandemic, I believe, has thrust that into the forefront and way more people are talking about their vulnerabilities and their, their stressors these days than ever before, which is the blessing in disguise of the pandemic. Quick break from our normal programming. I have Erica Schweier, COO from Elevate Ventures here in the studio today. Erica, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. And you're going to tell us a little bit about this Rally Innovation Conference that's coming up. Yep. So it's the largest cross-sector innovation conference in the world. We're going to feature six innovation studios. So think hard tech, software, sports tech, ag and food, healthcare, and entrepreneurship is going to kind of be our catch-all. I love that. Tell me what is, who's it for? Yeah, it's for innovators, entrepreneurs, investors. Honestly, anybody probably listening to this podcast. And it's going to be a multi-day thing that's multi -day. happening in downtown Indianapolis. Yep. People coming in from all over the country and maybe even all over the world to be here. That's our hope. Yep. And the dates are actually August 29th through the 31st. Perfect. And if people want to find out more information about speakers, tickets, things like that, where can they go? Yeah. So they just go to rallyinnovation.com and sign up for communications. And they can also get their tickets. I love it. You heard it here. Rallyinnovation.com. We'll, we'll see, see you, you there. there. Yeah, absolutely. So... 10 years, right? You're working interior design. You're sitting in your car, not wanting to go into the building. And you're like, 
that is that your moment of what do I want to do? Yeah. Is that what led you to launching Peak Mind? It is. It was the moment that I said something has to change because I'm either going to close the company down or it's got to change and it's got to be better. And that was about 10 years in business. And so I said, how do I spend the next 10 years working smarter, not harder? And at that time, I said, okay, I need to look for assistance. And so I hired two women who are business strategists and I worked with them for a year and a half. And they put me through homework every two weeks and gave me all sorts of forms and, and asked me what my purpose and passion is. And I say, I dumped my entire brain out onto the table and said, you guys figure it out. Tell me what I should do for the next 10 years. And what do I need to cut that's not bringing us profit and not and bringing us joy? And what, what do I do moving forward and do more of? What were the things that you were surprised by and that they told you that you just weren't aware of? Yeah, they said for any CEO, have eight different streams of income just in case a pandemic happens and takes one of your companies out, which that makes total sense. Turn a hobby into a paid hobby. Have one that's free, but have one that's just so that you're fulfilled and making income. So that, I think that strategy, that thought process as a CEO, you're taught to focus on one company, make it your sole focus. But I believe in having that balance and or having other things that you can fall back on, especially because so many businesses fail. Yeah. What? How do you think that ties to mental health? Just having multiple hobbies, multiple streams of income, multiple interests. Yeah, you're trying to get to my drumming hobby, aren't you? I see you trying to pull it out. Never. I would never. <laughs> no, I think it's, it's good, right? It's good to have balance. And I, I found that out as well through that process of what am I spending my time on? When you're so consumed with one thing, it is hard to have other outlets. And when that one thing is stressful, as running a company is stressful, as we know. And so you have to have some outlets. And if you don't have a lot of family around you, I've been a single mom for my son's 13. And so I don't have that support outside of here other than my child and friends. And so I have to look at hobbies and I have to do other creative outlets to be able to have that fulfillment or go to yoga and have that, that group of yoga friends. So tell me about drumming. <laughs> How do, I actually, I do think drumming is interesting. It's interesting that it's one of your hobbies because it is a common thread. I've got a group of CEO friends who are all, or either former CEOs or current CEOs, and we all play music together. It does seem like there's an interesting dimension of entrepreneurship that is very much related to music and vice versa. Yeah, I think it, it's, we're so analytical, right? We might crave that creative side. And yes, creativity is a part of running a company, but it's a smaller part, right? When we're in strategy or rolling out a new product or a new UX design. And so I think naturally your body craves that creativity. And so if you can't get it there, doing arts or right, a lot of people paint or journal or draw or play music. And I'm a high frequency person. Now, when I'm, I may be calm right now, maybe for the camera right now, but naturally I'm a high paced, high functioning person. And so drumming matches that frequency. And so if I want to have that same creativity, I couldn't sit there and draw right with a pencil. It's just, it's not my mode. But yeah, I, I get to bang at a thing, right? And just like release yeah. that kind of energy. So in, in multiple things happen at one time. Because different things go on different speeds. Oh, yeah. And I love to drum like EDM. So that's and, There you go. <laughs> so Matt plays music, drumming. Tell what's your hobby. I played the trumpet. Tell you tell. I did. Yeah. Yep. Did or do uh, currently. Like you're going to go home. I can with... play the bugle too. Nice. Yes. Okay. <laughs> wow. We just got some musicians here. They're on the table. Yeah. What's your And I sing on the side. 
Oh, he is spectacular. I can't carry beatboxer over there. Yes. Well, maybe you have to play that out. Yeah, um, absolutely. I'm not the musician, right? But my hobby is coaching wrestling. It's it's Thanks. one of those high energy, like focus on okay. pouring into this. And it's a great time, but it is definitely not the drumming or the trumpet or bugle like toe from over here. You just like yelling at people. Are you getting like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. to do it? It's like bad, but <laughs> did you hit product market? Fair <laughs> Like, what coach? Sorry. <laughs> Letting my lives together. <laughs> What's interesting about drumming is that it's so physical. And you mentioned yoga as well. I'm curious what you see just in your work around mental health and wellness. How does that tie into physical movement? Oh, yeah. One of the things that they'll tell you is to get that stored up energy out. Right? Yeah. Energy, it has to transmute into something else. And doing yoga, working out. Yoga is a slower, more meditative process, which helps me to slow my brain down because I do function so high all the time. I need that decompression time. People that know me and see how fast I work, they think that I'm just always like that. And they always ask the question, what do you do in your free time? <laughs> you know, and I have to do those meditations and mindfulness practice to slow me down and refocus. Was that hard? At first, yeah. I think the process is like everyone says, you think of any little thing is distracting, but practicing for time, doing it over time, build the practice. Is that your best advice? Because I'm thinking of like yoga or meditation. If you're a high functioning person, you're like, okay, I'm sitting here with my eyes closed, but I'm still thinking about 10,000 other things. Oh yeah, for sure. Whether you have a paper alongside you and you open your eye and you write down, okay, do the product market fit. You just don't fill out the elevate report. You know, my fourth email <laughs> reminder this month. This yeah. Week. yeah. So I guess if you have a couple good strategies for people that maybe have active brains, right? And they want to slow down and get into a meditation or a yoga practice. Yeah. Any good actual items there? Guided meditations, right? You have to start with where somebody's talking at you because at least you can focus on their voice. If you try and do the no word, you're going to totally be distracted. Have you ever heard of or practiced yoga nidra? I believe so. I don't remember all the different types, but I've been doing it for 20 years, so I think I've done most of them. I'm a huge fan. It's insane. Yeah. Explain. Yoga Nidra is, I've become this massive believer in energy, right? I never used to think about it too much until the last seven years, maybe. But Yoga Nidra, basically, you get to a really comfortable state and you have somebody guide you through whatever that journey is. They talk you through a, a meditation state where it's all about clearing the noise, focus on that one thing that you really want or trying to achieve. And holy shit, it happens. Yeah. Oh, it, yeah. It's insane. Thoughts turn into energy, right? Yeah. A focused brain versus um, most of our brains are meant to mind wonder is to think of all the things that could happen. A focused brain gets things done, right? That's a mind wandering brain is stress brain. Focused brain is a productive brain. And so focusing on something, you put your energy, right? Where energy goes or what is it? Where attention goes, energy flows. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And the body goes. And the body goes too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Absolutely. The hard part is to stay in focus. Yes. I was just it's talking real. to my best friend about that this morning. It's how do you carry that with you in all the moments? And so I get the question a lot is when I'm speaking is how can I remember? Put a visual cue, whether it's a stress brain on your desk and it makes you question, okay, am I stressing? Put something, wear something, wear a different color, right? There's some energy practitioners talk about if you want to feel more connected, wear purple. So just anything you can do to refocus and remind yourself. That's why also gentle nudges and reminders are helpful. I was going to ask you about that with respect to office design. You probably have your 10,000 hours in designing corporate offices. Yeah. Uh, what are some of the things that either A, are mistakes that you see across the board or it's like low-hanging fruit for people who are trying to design an office space, whether it's a home office or a corporate office. Yeah, the 
easiest thing, the first thing I would tell a company to do is to a wellness room or a quiet room. Give people a space to decompress. You have to be able to allow somebody to take that 5, 10, 15 minutes to just decompress. We are all functioning. There's so much stimuli in, in a workplace and it can be a small space. It doesn't have to be a huge room. But just if you were to start anywhere, I'd say just do that first. But then it's my favorite space at 16 yeah, Tech. Yeah, they're awesome. But there's a list of other things to do and to reassess. But what I also tell companies, and I'm right, doing this for so many years, is that you have to build culture in the building for your people. You can't just design a Google office. And I had a lot of clients when Google became popular say, I just want to design us the Google office. And I said, no, your people aren't Google people. We're not yeah. doing that. Yeah, be who you are. Right. Yeah. And ask. And right, that's the three C's that we have in Peak Mind is comprehension, understanding, truly understanding your people, understanding your needs as a culture, and then building in the rest. Pitch us on Peak Mind. Give us like the high level and then let's go deep. Yeah, we're just empowering employees to thrive, right? Meeting them where they are. We provide 150 action steps to disrupt stress during the workday because stress is going to happen. We're all, we have different moments of stress. Some is healthy, but most of it's chronic stress, which is killing us. The CDC states that 80% of diseases are caused by stress. We have to, it's now one of the five top pillars that for the attorney general in the United States. Wow. You go to his website, workplace stress is on there. So we have to do something about it. And not everyone wants to meditate or do yoga. They're not there yet. And so how do we meet the rest of the people where they are when they're not right? We have to do it in small, very minute gentle nudges until they're ready to maybe go to a therapist or to do yoga or to go drum it out, whatever it is. I love it. So we had a little bit of a stressful situation leading into this podcast with our recording equipment, right? So if let's say this podcast was a customer of Peak Mind, mad stressing out about recording mics, what would the starting point be? And what would like actual product adoption look like for a member of a company? Yeah. So he could go to his phone or his laptop and say, he could either give feedback to the platform, right? If he just wants to vent, if he's a journaler, if he wants to just say the words, right? Some people need to be heard. And so that we give them an avenue to be heard. And what we're doing on the back end is using neuro-linguistic programming into our algorithm to train us on how he speaks, right? I say that I'm a happy-go-lucky person, so I end things with an exclamation mark or a smiley face, right? That's my happy day, my normal. If I don't do that, then it's showing that, okay, Alicia's not mad. If I just end with a period, it's just not my natural language processing and my natural speech. And so our technology is helping to understand that so that then it can give him an action step to do based on his needs. If he said, no, I'm not going to do yoga, and we can give him another one of the 150 ways to lower his stress based on the workforce environment that we know. So we're taking data and making the best out of it and trying to meet each person's needs. And so you get different action steps and different resources. How can, do you get into, I find what you just said really interesting and powerful. The exclamation point in an email versus a period. I literally had somebody once say, why are you yelling? Yeah. Because I'll use exclamation points. Yeah. And not only every sentence, but it's from a place of excitement. Yes. Passion. Passion. I want them to know passion all this thing. But it can be mis it can be misread or misreceived on the other end. Does it touch any of those types of things on how to deal with communication? Yeah, for sure. You have to look at communication style. And so we have a place another part of our app that gives you the ability to tell people who you are, how you like to be communicated to, right? And so it's open ended. It's the only part of our platform where we share your information because we give you six different options to say, okay, do you want to talk about your dispersonality and what that means to you? Because why are we just saying, okay, you took a disc score and you're a high D. Oh, you're only going to be a high D. There's a lot of variations with that. I'm a high D, but I'm also very compassionate and understanding. And so it, yes, can I lead a room? Of course. 
but I can also, I'm mature enough to understand that. And so giving people an opportunity to share that, I can say when I do an exclamation mark that that means just, I'm really excited. I love that. It's like when you text like you're texting with your grandma or maybe an older individual and they hit you with the K. You're like, <laughs> grandma, like, why are you mad at me? What did I do? <laughs> Come on. She's just trying to be hip. Exactly. <laughs> or all the kids saying, no, they're only saying K when they're upset. Like, <laughs> call up like, is everything okay? Yeah, everything's great. Classic. Have you had experiences with any of your clients or even teams that you've worked with before where you've noticed someone on the team or maybe even a group of people on the team are struggling, but they're not necessarily open to mental health support. For sure. How do you coach leaders through those situations? Yeah, for sure. You have to meet people where they are. They're not ready. There's nothing you can say or do. Um, if you look at the theory of change, how our brains evolve through change, there's actually pre-contemplation where before you can't even contemplate changing because you don't even know you need to change. And so you're just talking, beating a dead horse. Literally, they're, it's in one ear, out the other, physiologically. And so understanding that and giving yourself compassion and grace and saying, I'll talk to them when they're ready, right? I'll nudge them when they're ready because that's all we can do. The, the nudge theory states that I can gently remind you and gently nudge you, which some people may take one nudge and others may take 28. Yeah. And so understanding that and our technology helps replicate that for you because none of us as leaders are going to remind somebody on our team 28 times to t call that 1-800 number for the EAP. It's right. just not going to happen. You may do it once, twice. You're lucky if you can get around to it the third time. What are you most excited about right now for Peak Mind? Yeah, I'm excited about the national press we're getting. We, in June, we've been studying virtual reality therapeutics and virtual reality integrations into workplace well-being for nine years, as long as I had the idea for Peak Mind and the market wasn't ready. There were people here in Indy, trusted advisors and investors that I took it to in 2017, 2018. It was in a pitch deck and they said, yeah, we're not, we're not ready for it. And so we've been listening. And in June of last year, it just, we really saw the indicators, right? More talk in major news articles about virtual reality in the workplace, virtual reality therapeutics, Salesforce, and one of our partner calls, they said, wait, you have a virtual reality integration. They were like, every meeting, that should be the lead. We love the platform, but we're a, a, a partner with them right now for the platform. But they were like, the VR is something we can take internationally and we can sell the platform through that. And that really started us to talk about that. And so I'm excited because I understood how powerful virtual reality immersion therapy can be. Some articles say that it's seven times more effective. Yeah. So if I just tell you to stop stressing and I tell you to go do yoga, right? If I show you yoga and I can put you into an immersive yoga studio, you're seven times more likely to actually go do it and to retain the information that I told you. So is that the type of like you're, you throw on a VR headset and you're in a yoga studio? We don't have that one yet, okay. but that's, I just thought about that in nine minutes. Or in Toast's case, maybe like front row at a rack show, just like getting your stress out with some headbang in the quiet room. We do have music options. We have beaches. We've got a rustling fire that you can look at the fire pit, right? Because that movement, that color is soothing to some people. Our law enforcement officers have said, put me in front of a stream. Just put me in by a river. Just yeah. let me watch the water. I'm like, heck yeah, I'll do that every day. That is what gets you as a manly person to finally take time and go into that meditative state, whether you call it meditation or not, it really is. Yeah. Because you're focused on one thing, you're focused on the water. That's so cool. That's really neat. For those who, um, whether they have VR or don't have VR, and maybe they don't have a subscription to Peak Mind yet, what are kind of your top three tips to start practicing mindfulness or exploring mindfulness or de-stressing? Yeah, Google, right? Or go to YouTube. There are so many free options. Don't start playing around. 
test them out. It, and the first one you pull up may not be for you, but there's so many different ones. Just start going through the and try it because something is probably going to stick or talk to other people. Go to a class if you need a community, right? There's so many different yoga studios, so many different mindfulness practices that you can do here in town. There's, I think, one on the north side, right? That's like a heated floor and they do mindfulness, guided mindfulness. Oh, I know some people I'm on a board with that go there. Love that. So what's, what's a success story? Or a success story that kind of pops out in your mind or maybe a struggle and then a success story with one of your clients opposite that naming names. But Yeah, I think a struggle would be one of our clients. They, they needed to really get the platform. We talked to them for maybe three, four months beforehand. And then they, the reason they picked up the phone and became a client was they had a suicide. Oh. They knew their people were struggling. They knew they didn't have a solution to help empower them to thrive. They didn't realize how bad the incident would be, but that was the motivating incident for them to pick up the phone. And so to walk through that crisis with companies, and unfortunately, they're not the only ones, right? So that's the war. I hate to see that. How are they doing today? They're, the well, company. They actually disbanded. They were a franchise and they sold because they actually had two more employees going suicide hold. They were in a, an industry that was very stressful. I won't list it because, you know, it, sure. it, it, but it, they sold because the owners just couldn't and the top leaders couldn't keep stomaching it. And they didn't know we can help, but we can't change overnight. Cultures take three to five years to change. So it's, we're not going to help everybody overnight. We can start to nudge them in the right direction. So the sooner you start a product like ours, the better off your, the better your chances, especially because we know that so many people are stressed these days. Yeah. Yeah. So for leaders in the space that might be listening right now, obviously first thing, go get your company in talks with Pete Mind and help bring that to the workplace. But is there something that if you want to create a healthier culture, something that leaders can start doing today yes. to help for tomorrow and yes. next week? Talk. I say talk. You have to communicate. People are craving your words as a leader. They are craving your passion. Whatever it is, get on and sing a silly song, do a beatbox, build that relationship with them because they're craving that in the world. We, loneliness is an all-time high. So be that voice for them. Remind them of what your purpose and passion is as a company to help motivate people because that will at least bring them to the table and start to build that connection. Enter the part of the episode that is the rapid fire questions. Oh. Lightning round. Lightning round. <laughs> All right. All right. <clears throat> Outside of the amazing entrepreneurs, what is Indiana known for? Cows. Yeah, <laughs> I like it. All right. Like it. What is one hidden gem in Indiana? Good fit, especially 38th Street. All the international food. Oh, yeah. yeah. International food on 38th Street. I love that. Okay. Who is someone that we need to keep on our radar? Someone who's doing something big. Dr. Alicia E. McCoy. Oh, I love it. There is the best cute Let's go. Bam, mic drop. Yep. <laughs> I love it. I love that too. Alicia, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey and talk about such an important topic. I'm hopeful that we're going to continue to talk about this on future episodes, have you back on the show, keep doing awesome work. With awesome. You. Thank you so much. Great to chat. Thanks, Alicia. Good work. This has been Get In, a Powder Kick production in partnership with Elevate Ventures. And we want to hear from you. If you have suggestions for our guest or segment, reach out to Matt or Nate on LinkedIn or on email. To discover top-tier tech companies outside of Silicon Valley in hubs like Indiana, check out our newsletter at powderkeg.com newsletter. And to apply for membership to the Powder Keg executive community, check out powderkeg.com premium. We'll catch you next time and next week as we continue to help 
the world get in. Since you've just listened to this podcast, you might be thinking about starting one for your company. Lucky for you, our partners over at Casted have you covered. Casted is the first and only podcast and video marketing platform made specifically for B2B brands. I love this about them. The platform makes it possible to publish, syndicate, amplify, and measure the value of your podcast and video content. In fact, we use it for our podcast here at Powder K. And if you're a startup, you should listen up because Casted for Startups is definitely for you. They are offering exclusive deep discounts of up to 82% off retail price for qualifying startups. Connect with Casted at casted.us slash powderkeg.